What's going on, everybody? Free Me TV, Free Me Podcast, Episode 4, Prisoner of Love, coming at you now. If you haven't caught it, it's on Discovery Plus. You must check it out, man. Breaking Stigma, Free Me TV, Episode 4, Season of Love, Prisoner of Love. Control, this is Agent Olgren. I need to request to open up cell 311. Free me podcast. Okay, so we cut back to the scene where Chelsea is outside waiting on Michael in the snow. And lo and behold, and lo and behold, you see Michael coming out the gate, slow walking with a small little few little, <laughs> and run up to Chelsea and gave her a big old hug. And um, it was a nice little interaction. Uh, Michael obviously needed a ride home and he couldn't get somebody else to come pick him up or however, I don't know. I'm still a little confused. I don't trust Michael. I really honestly don't, but he showed up. And as I said earlier, you always have to give everybody the benefit of the doubt. So he's proven his worth. He showed up at the gate, but we'll see where it's going. All I'm telling you is I'm not buying it. So now we got a lunger, right? We got a lunger that's going and meeting up with her friend, Ty. And all I got to say is, man, where the hell are all these women at? I mean, Discovery, where are you finding these women at for real, man? Because where the hell are the women at that just want to talk things through and understand things and, and, and come to solutions and stuff? I mean, where in the hell are y'all at? So Alundra's breaking down Bryce's life to her friend, Ty. And again, she's making, I mean, you could tell that Alundra came from a well-balanced and well-structured family. There was probably some issues um, going on within her family, but you could tell that they handled those issues um, appropriately because Alondra has a good head on her shoulders, and she knows and she knows the recipe to success. You know when it comes to life, and she's trying to get Bryce to understand that. You know, and and show Bryce, and this is what she's explaining to her friend Ty. But at the same time, we always have to remember that Bryce has a lineage as well. You know, and that lineage is passed down. Again, this is why I come down on the father, you know, about the father saying, you need to go do your time and be a man and all this stuff here. Well, that's your son going to prison. What ownership and, and culpability do you have with your life about your son going to prison? That's why I don't buy that stuff about you telling your son, you know, you go away and, and, and I can't do it. I can't go there and, and, and support you. But you be a man and go do you. You know, that's that's bull crap. And the thing of it is, is that this is the lineage that Bryce came from, that, that way of thinking. So this is all he's known. That way of thinking is all he's known, Bryce has known, since he was a since he was a child. So Alundra has to understand that as well. And she has to understand that that you just don't change that thought process overnight. That takes a long time. Bryce was, I think, in his middle 20s. So you got to think that he's been making those type of decisions, you know, for at least since he was five or six years old. We heard in the beginning that he was selling pills, you know, at, at eight years old. So and whose fault is that? 
that's not Bryce's fault. Where was the father when the when the when when he was selling pills at eight years old? You know what I mean? And not once have I heard his family, his mom or his father, come out and take culpability for that and ownership for that. You know, and that and that is what has to occur. If us America is gonna break this continuous chain that we're doing, we have to understand our culpability as parents. The dynamic that that Bryce and Alundra is under, one Alundra has to understand that this is going to take time. It's gonna take a lot of effort to show Bryce the errors of his ways and the errors in his thinking and the errors in his family's thinking and why, you know, the the whole lineage just ends up the way that it does. It's it's the same with my family. You know, it's the same with me. So it's it's going to take that process and it's going to take Bryce to trust Alondra to the point to where he can see the error of his family's ways and the error of, of how he was raised and brought up to think in a survival type mode. And that's exactly what that is. This is what Alondra is trying to explain to her friend when she says that Bryce was just day to day moving. That's the survival mode. As I said, so many families, are, you know, we're operating at a survival mode. When you're in survival mode, there is no no planning. There is no goals. There is none of that. It's just what you can get in that moment to carry us on to the next day to survive. In the end, the advice that Ty is trying to give to Alundra about you come first and at the end of the day, you have to realize that you come first. That message, that advice that I took from that is, is exa- you know, how I like to explain as my bubble. You know, we have our bubble. This is our bubble. And that bubble is me and my queen and our offspring, our children. And that's it. That is our bubble. There's nobody outside or inside. There's nobody inside of that bubble but me and my queen and, and our offspring because that's what we're building right, is everything inside of that bubble. And then you have a bubble that sits inside of a bubble, right? And, and and inside of that bubble is the outer bubble is, you know, your immediate family and, and people that you are emotionally attached to, you know, because you have to protect them as well because you are emotionally attached to these people. So you always reserve some sort of, of protection and shield for these people as well, you know. But they're not in the nucleus. They are not inside of your bubble when it comes down to it. And I think that is what Alondra is trying to express to Bryce. You know, your family is your family and you do what you can. But at the end of the day, this is this is where your, your home and your heart is supposed to be because this is the future. This is us. Your family goes and lives their life and makes the decisions that they make. But at the end of the day, where your queen rests her head is where your concern should be at. We cut back to Michael and Chelsea's romance. And, you know, again, it's 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 proven so far to be a real thing. I'm still trying to read the chemistry that Mike is putting out. He's still a little standoffish. But again, that may be because, you know, he, he's in his warped mind some kind of way he's he's trying to stick to this you know this whole celibate thing you know so so they go inside the restaurant you could tell that mike really don't have uh too much societal etiquette you know he sits down at the table at dinner this is his first dinner home um he has a toboggan on his head still 
you know, as he sits down to eat. So Mike, with no table etiquette, sits down in the toboggan on his head to let the meat marinate in his mouth. The dinner continues. They talk, you know, have little, little just um, social, small chit-chat or whatnot. You could tell that Chelsea is drooling over this dude, frothing at the mouth, and ready to, to break this man's celibacy within the first 24 hours. Prison penis. The, the dinner, I mean, it went well. It looked like it went well, and they end, you know, they sealed the, the dinner with a kiss. So, I mean, I, I really don't know. We're going to find out what the hell is really going on, but I don't trust Michael. Okay. Now, we break to a serious conversation between Bray and his dad. And this is an important conversation. It's a serious conversation because you're dealing with serious criminals now. You know, and Arlette shot somebody twice. Now, there's many, many, many reasons that that could have happened. And that's definitely a serious conversation to have as to find out where her thought process was through all of that. But there were so many red flags up to that point about her wanting to do drugs, acid, look up at the stars and all of this stuff. You're talking about a 22-year-old girl that's already incarcerated. You know what I mean? And and incarcerated for some serious things and the fact that there's no reflection there and she hasn't been talking about that reflection is is a serious serious red flag that you're dealing with somebody that could potentially get out and do the same thing again how how is this uncovered halfway through a relationship that should have been something that was revealed as soon as I'm scrolling down through the thing and I see this pretty ass girl and I start getting attached to her, I'm supposed to be letting on there. Listen, man, this girl is a wild one. She shot two people. At this point, Bray is just trying to, to make up reasons for Arlette to be a good person. Um, I think essentially so it doesn't look like he is the fool. Again, I'm seeing that these characters are falling back because they don't want to they don't want to look like the fool. But there was no thought process going into it that would prevent them from looking like a fool. They just went into these things blindly with no direction, no no education, no knowledge. And now people are worried about looking like a fool. Right. What do you mean you want to stick up for our leg? Right. And tell your father that she's not that kind of person. Your last phone call, she was talking about doing acid. Again, here's another example where the dad is giving great advice. He's really giving good advice to his son. But again, that advice is based on no knowledge. It's just based on emotions, worry, fear, things of that nature. He tells it, you know, he starts painting a picture in his son's mind about, well, what if Arlette gets angry? What's going to happen then? We don't even know if Arlette shot the person out of anger. It could have been out of self-defense. They could have been doing drugs together and, and, and you know, uh, the person could have been trying to, to manipulate her or rape her or rob her or any one of those things because it's a, she's a very attractive young lady. And I can rest assured if she's in that type of lifestyle where drugs are going around and being passed around, there was probably, she probably has a lot of abuse in her life. We always have to understand the complexity of each crime and how it happened and where the person's thought process was at during that crime as it was being as it was being committed. You have to understand that and if you have true intentions for Arlette, 
you have to have those inner workings, but that person has to be honest with themselves. And Arlette is, is far from that. She's far from being honest with herself. So I agree with the dad that it's time to cut ties with Arlette. Bray should have been out of there when she was talking about drugs. But we have to understand that this is a human being as well. Prisoners are human beings and we're not, we're not, um, you know, uh, just pretty people to, to hook up with and test things out with and see how things go. We're human beings as well. And not only are we human beings, but we're damaged human beings. I think this kind of goes into what some of uh, Devin's mom was trying to say to Isa. And, and that was her way of protecting her son, is letting people know, like, listen, these people are damaged. And we don't need to keep damaging them by having them get attached to people who's going to abandon them and leave them because they're finding out things that they can't handle because that's going to cause more damage to that individual and 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 it's going to make it even harder for him or her to trust anybody so all of these have to be thought about before we even get into uh, a prison relationship back to Chelsea and Michael um Chelsea lined up a, a pretty nice place for them to go stay in um you know Michael hit on some key notes you know uh and a lot of his body language showed a lot of what we go through you know it's hard for people to understand a, a real true prison environment of living in a bathroom with somebody for however many years and everything is odd outside of that you know it's it's abnormal for us so once you reach a stage of incarceration to where you become institutionalized you only know what that institution provides everything outside of that is abnormal so to walk into a place with a big fireplace big spacious rooms you know is is very overwhelming you know it's very overwhelming and 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 we feel odd in that environment you know we don't know whether how to sit or where to sit or just things of that nature you know that only somebody that understands what that person is going through would be able to see those little subtle um, tweaks. They go through talking about changing clothes, trying on clothes, you know, all of this. And I mean, I, I could be wrong, you know. Michael, Michael seems like, um, you know, I. And you know, I could be wrong about Michael. I mean, I'm kind of sticking to my guns. You know, because I'm still seeing uh, things that I that make me, uh, you know, um, not trust. But I could be wrong. You know, it could just be me not trusting people, and maybe make Michael might end up turning out to be a pretty good guy. And then I have to to eat crow. But until that happens, man, I'm sticking to my guns. We cut to a scene. To me, is the most powerful. A reality that I have yet to see on this show. If you watch the show, what you witnessed in episode four with Bryce and his younger brother is a serious, critical issue that's going on in America. This is why I have my program. This is why I, I, I speak about the things that I do. I applaud Discovery for making sure that this 
conversation was was implemented into the show and made sure that that it got out there because that is the problem as i said in the last episode of breakdown bryce's whole family structure is based upon survival needs and because bryce figured out a way to hustle and make extra money for that household everybody became dependent on bryce for survival so now when bryce goes away everything falls apart right because the mother was obviously dependent on bryce for survival right and the brother was obviously dependent on bryce for survival and that's that's all i know now but where you see one there's 50 right so that scene is so powerful in so many ways because bryce now gets to see the devastation of what his actions has caused right and the domino effect of what his decisions has made what you hear the brother saying right about him being slapped by a stepfather and and put in a position to where he had to deal with all of this trauma by himself right and that's no way to deal with trauma because we don't know what we don't know we have to figure it out as we go along and and make choices and decisions based upon the limited experience and knowledge that we have and the reason why the brother was put in that that position is because again the mother is in survival mode and she's trying to fend for herself because in her mind she's obviously got it that she needs a man in her life to help support her especially now that Bryce is gone so she's putting her family in in a in a in a dire situation because of her thought process but at the same time she's telling herself that this is what she has to do that's best for her family all of these decisions and choices that were made was was is the catalyst for why we are the way that we are in America because what you witnessed with Bryce's family and I I appreciate the fact that this family came on and shared their experience the way that they did because this is what we have to learn from the Bryce's family my family me and so many others these are the examples that were we are sacrificing our privacy for for people to understand where these mistakes are being made and we can fix our communities and stop all of this crime yes chelsea finally got laid with her prison dream she's smiling and she's happy so this is where things can can i mean that's a that's a serious decision and that's a big fork in the road you know what i mean so we can we're we're going to see what happens after that michael with his white toboggan finally gets to meet jonathan the infamous infamous jonathan and jonathan's mind is only on one thing hater hater jonathan i ain't see you for no hater man definition of a bottom bitch now what a bottom bitch is is a very good thing right it is a woman that will go out and bring you 10 bad bitches and that's what they say. One bad bitch will go bring 10 hoes. It's not a prison term, Jonathan. It's a pimp term. And if you run around the wrong corner, you're going to find out. You might be somebody's bottom bitch. Pluviophile. Pluviophile? Pluviophile. 
pluviophile, not to be easily confused with pedophile. I do have a guilty pleasure. Um, I found out years ago that I was a pluviophile. Dude. A what? Not, not a pedophile, a pluviophile. A, a what? Plu, plu, a, a who? So now we're in the scene where Dexter meets Yolanda for the first time face-to-face via, via Zoom or uh, via video chat. And it, it, again, it's a, I, I think that this, this relationship has the potential to be a winner because it seems that they're both being a little guarded, right? Um, but there is the potential in both of them to want to kind of dive in. You could, you could both sense... You know, you could you could sense that both of them, you know, are, are really feeling each other. But I think that it's out of desperation from both of them to want this to be a good thing. I haven't seen any signs of this relationship that I would say are red flags. Um, Dexter had brought up the question about what is it that you want to do or, or you know, things of that nature. He made a critical mistake there because if his worry is about his wallet, you shouldn't be bringing up things that involve your wallet. Again, because you know that these people are coming home and they really don't have much. So anything that you you suggest, you're going to have to pay for. So if you're bringing up suggestions of what things people would want to do, Yolanda was just being honest when she says she wants to go to a live NBA game and she wants to do these things. There again, because the suggestion was brought to her, she felt like it was okay for her to be open and be expressive. And then Dexter got set back a little bit, you know, because now she's talking about, you know, um, him doing big things with her. Again, you have to be careful what you ask for. We switch back now to another... (laughs) I mean, this show is really getting deep, man. It really, really is because it's exposing a lot of reality, man, that's going on within these families of these incarcerated people that are coming home. So we switch back to Bryce and we switch back to Alundra. And the dichotomy that they're in now, again, is because of Ethan, which is Bryce's younger brother, coming and exposing what the family have went through when Bryce has left. Now... The way that Alundra is is presenting this, right, first and foremost, when Bryce is expressing himself, you see Alundra kind of just getting tired or frustrated because she already knows, as she expressed, that her, you know, Bryce's family is sucking him back in. What what Alundra has to understand is this is his family and, and he's very emotionally tied to that. And that is a sever that you just can't you know, uh, just stop, you know, that's, that's not something easy like that when you've been doing it your whole life. So it's Alundra has to educate herself on how she gets Bryce to see the errors of his ways. You see what I'm saying? By just pointing out, you see, this is how your life went this way because your family keeps making these decisions and it pulls you in and such and versus just telling him, or chastising him or making him feel like he has to choose, which what is what Bryce came out and said that is, is very mentally draining. At the end of the day, this is a man that just came home from prison and he's trying to get his life back in order or find his life. And it's very hard to do because now he's in the middle of a tug of war, right? 
This is what we don't want. We do not want to put these people in a tug of war where they feel like they have to choose. It, it's all, it, it all has to come together. <clears throat> Bryce's family has to understand that he's a family man now and that he has a wife and a potential growing family. And that's what comes first. And Alundra also has to understand that, yes, right, he is responsible. What Bryce is saying is true. He is responsible for his family structure because Bryce made decisions that hurt his family. Bryce knew that his family was dependent on him and he didn't find a way legally to support that family. So it is Bryce's responsibility at this point to help his family as much as he can by showing how a leadership is. So Alundra is right what she's saying, but she's taking the wrong approach. Bryce is right in what he's saying, but he's taking the wrong approach. And this is where the toxicity is occurring at. We are, we're witnessing the beginning stages of how relationships become toxic, right? Especially when it comes to ex-offenders. So what Bryce, again, has to understand is he does have a responsibility and he has a responsibility to his younger brother, Ethan, because if he cares about his brother and he wants his brother to be productive, right, he has to show that because his brother has delegated him, like most families, as his his role model. So Bryce has to understand that and show his younger brother how to be productive and how to be a man of your family. That is where Bryce can save his family at, is by showing them how to be a family, how to listen to your woman, and how to build that strong familial structure where you don't send your kids to prison and let them do their time by themselves. We see Dexter confirm with his friend Charmaine. Um, we met Charmaine in the beginning when he first introduced mm -hmm. the fact that he was going and getting matched up. Um, and as I said, you know, like most black women, she was skeptical. Now, we got two sides of a story because we heard the conversation between Yolanda and Dexter, but the, the, the conversation that Dexter provided to Charmaine was different. So what I'm saying by that is he, he made Yolanda seem like a gold digger. You know, and Charmaine, of course, was not privy to that original conversation. She's only privy to what Dexter is telling her. So she's perceiving it as a gold digger. So, of course, this is was her response. Sounds like a gold digger to me, you know, and, and Dexter kind of shot her a side eye. But again, you provided the information for her to to see it that way now. How the how the situation how the conversation shifted was Yolanda said you know that she the first thing she wanted to do was walk on the beach which I can respect that I can understand exactly what she's talking about and then the second thing you was maybe go to a live NBA game you know in New Orleans or whatnot I didn't hear anything about a football game um, but again maybe that's something that that wasn't disclosed but that was in the conversation between Dexter and Charmaine. And how Dexter brought it up is she wants to go to all these live games, NBA and football, and she wants to travel all over the place. That really wasn't what was discussed. So I think there was a there was an unfair advantage in that conversation. You know, I feel Dexter 
And I understand Dexter, right? In the sense that a lot of his issues with relationships, I could see already, is he indulges a lot of information. He gives out a lot of his personal self, right? Early in the relationship in hopes that people will feel sorry for him or or want to attach themselves to him. And he's giving out way too much. And when you give out, when you lay all your cards on the table, you're putting all your trust in this person that they're a good person. And most people aren't. You know, there's only one shepherd and many sheep. So the thing of it is, is that you have to hold back. Let this person ask you about you. Don't just give that information to them. Let them let them want to know who you are and, and, and seek that. And if that person's not doing that, but they want to go to big NBA games and stuff like that, that then that is a red flag. But if you're giving this person all your information all up front and they never have a chance to really ask you about you, how do you know? So now Michael and Chelsea are going in to get tattoos of each other. She gets Michael written across her back. He gets Chelsea written across his ankle. And, uh, you know, a, a conversation ensues about, you know, long distance relationship because Michael is living in another, you know, in another state and he's on parole, three years parole. So he's confined to that state where Chelsea stays in several states over. So now we're kind of starting to see a little of the manipulation losing control. Um, I know for sure that Michael's a fraud now because, you know, he can't answer the detailed questions and he don't want to corner or trap himself in any kind of situation that he can't get out of. So when the, the thing about long distance relationship comes up, Michael starts blaming the women as far as it's their fault. They're the ones that come on to me. They start enticing me and I don't know if I can control myself in that fashion. We cut to a side scene where Michael's sitting there talking about how he was with another chick and two other chicks came up to him and and he stuttered and he, he couldn't be honest with himself. You know, it took it took a lot just to say, you know, I cheated or whatever. So these are red flags that I'm seeing in Michael. And now I know for sure that that he's a fraud to put simply. Right. A manipulator that catches another manipulator in that is is simply just that first you were talking about being celibate when you came home and you broke that within the first night and now you're talking about you can't have no long distance relationship so again the minute the, the manipulation is breaking down with just a few little questions you know so because manipulators they don't have you know a, a, a long detailed plan psychopaths may but just regular manipulators who are living in survival mode for instant gratification, there is no detailed long distance plan. There's just, it's just surface, just on the surface. So our trick is to keep you, you know, in la la land to where you never get below that surface. So this is why, as you saw with Devin, you know, um, when it, the, the conversation about money came up, he again started to to get into the fantasy, right? To keep her above the surface because her questions were getting too deep and he really didn't know how to answer them. So it's a quick shift. Well, we're Bray now and he's getting his phone call from Arlette. And now the big question comes up about the police report. 
So Arlette starts breaking it down, you know, about her her drug abuse, you know. Um, first, you know, I really do give Bray a lot of credit. And what Bray said was instrumental in the fact that he wanted to get Arlette's side of the story because he don't know what happened. He don't know the circumstances. And you could tell that he's very naive in that type of lifestyle. So he understands hardly anything of what this young lady has probably been through in her life. Arlette goes on to explain some of the troubles that she's had in her life. You know, that she's been addicted to meth, cocaine, crack, you know, almost every hard drug that that is, is applicable to, to these kids out there these days. She has apparently been on. She's in an institution already and been in there for a little bit for shooting somebody twice, right? And this is a 22-year-old girl. So we have to understand how does that happen? How does that happen in America that a 22-year-old girl can be addicted to all of these drugs and shoot somebody twice and go through an institution and still not have enough schooling or education within that institution that she's been confined to to see the errors of her ways from what i'm hearing out of arlette this is just a girl who has no ownership of or or understanding of the chaotic life that she's leading right all she knows probably is that she's in a situation she has no idea how to get out of and she's just going to continue that until something happens Welcome to America, the land of the free. We cut to another critical scene, man, and, and, and these scenes are, are unfolding within this series, man, that is is something that I've never seen before. Now, I've never seen any of these other prison shows, and maybe I should, but what I'm seeing unfold in front of me is so profound and it's so touching to me because this is what America needs to be exposed to. And I'm so glad that I'm witnessing this here and that I'm here to bring this to you so that America hopefully can see my shows and understand exactly what we go through, right? The scene between Arlette and Bray's phone call is is, is very important, again, because Arlette is unfolding, you know, the, the crime that took place. And again, as me being in that lifestyle... I can completely understand what she's saying. And and again, her mindset. Bray had a choice to make. And Bray made the correct choice in getting out of there. And I really appreciate how he went about it. Um, But again, you could hear the pain and letdown in Arlette's voice. Because this is something that she hears all the time. And, And what hope is she going to have? You know what I mean? What hope? is this young lady going to have coming out of this institution with those type of crimes, knowing that as soon as she starts getting emotions, right, for somebody and they find out that they abandon her. These were all issues that were supposed to be put up front. Arlette's fault in that, again, is, is, is just not expressing it from the beginning. Listen, this is my crime. This is what I've done. You know, um, I'm, I'm trying to change. I need help changing you know, such, but it's really a critical, a critical thing, because again, let's not lose sight of the fact that this is a 22 year old girl, you know, now me as a kid, 
I've never seen girls shooting at people or or doing the things that these girls are doing today. It was unheard of when I was a kid, you know. Where where are we going as a country? Where are we going? So this is the ending scene now. <clears throat> so we get to the end of this crap with Michael, right? And and Chelsea's romance. Now Again, all the manipulation of the game is starting to come out. He's tripping over himself and, and saying things that he said differently before. You know, now he don't want to be that guy. Now I don't want to be that guy, that cheater guy. I don't want to cheat on my girl, says the guy that cheated on his girl. So, again, all of the all of the red flags are there, but I think that Chelsea's so caught up in the prison penis that she she's just not seeing these red flags. You know, but they're there. So that's it, man. Pop, 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 pop. That's it. Four down. Next is five. Stay tuned, man. Discovery Plus, Prisoner of Love. Breakdown, Free Me TV, right here. Peace.